Herper-derper-derper-derper-der. Well spunked. Have you not been hearing me? Oh man, the goon! Welcome to the Trade Secrets Podcast. Sorry the neurons aren't firing today. Yes, it is. Exactly. Cleanses the palate with zombies. Comic book talk by comic book geeks just like you. Did I just have a stroke? That's a valuable misprint, sir. And now, your hosts, Luke Matthews. At at least he attempts to draw hands and he's bad at it, but feet, he's fuck it, I'm just going to put a giant sigh in the way. And B. In terms of, like, reading this from a female point of view, I appreciate Terry Moore's breasts. Joel Simon. Oh, but, yeah, I have to pay, what, $50 a month for the internet. It's 15 bucks. You get a lot of grist out of this. And Andy Padel. Find my shit. Don't find my shit. Gimp fight. Porn studio. Found the shit. Oh, Hitler porn. Bullet shot in the head. Uh, I feel like I should do this in like a, I don't know, it's a very mellow episode, I think. I feel like I should be doing this in like a NPR voice. <laughs> Welcome to welcome to episode ten of Trade Secrets. I'm your host Andy Podell with uh, my co-host Luke Matthews. Hello, and my other co-host Ann Bean. Good evening. Also joining us today is Joel Simon. Did I just have a stroke? How's everyone doing today? There's so many pregnant pauses in there that I feel like I'm going to explode. That's NPR for you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> seriously. Oh, this is episode 10. We are talking about uh, Runaways. Runaways. That's what we're talking about. Brian K. Vaughn and Adrian Alfona. It's a uh, Marvel comic that started in 2003. Uh, we're talking about, in this episode, talking about the t- first two collected editions called Pride and Joy and Wasteland. Teenage, Teenage Wasteland. Wasteland. As usual, we'll start by f- talking about what we're reading right now, and we'll start with Anne. Go ahead. So I finally remember that one time when I skipped way ahead in Powers because I happened to get the eighth trade paperback. Oh, the time I, okay, you yeah. fucked up. Yes. No, no, no. I, I didn't feel bad about it, actually. If, of all series to give myself huge spoilers on, it was okay. Um, I went back and read all the rest of the things I had not yet read, which was um, the six. Uh, fifth, sixth, and seventh trade paperbacks. So I got monkey sex. I got monkey sex. Monkey sex. Um, Emming has an essay in the beginning where he's talking about what his email inbox was like after doing the monkey sex episode or issue, and he's just like, it was all. His account probably got flagged. He's like, they must have thought I was like running a monkey porn ring. <laughs> <laughs> so monkey sex, and also powers. Which is fantastic, as always, and I'm really excited to continue reading and actually get, you know, maybe caught up to sort of the current area of it. My wife doesn't like it. Really? Yeah, she got about halfway through the second um, hardcover, uh-huh. the really hardcover, and she's just like, she she's or she was probably about two-thirds of the way through it, and she, she came to me, she's like, just not feeling it. And she's kind of put it down and not come back huh. to it. I, I agree with one of her points uh, that she made that, um, especially with the um, with the who killed retro girl storyline, yeah. How the main detectives, uh, Dina and Christian, Walker. Christian, don't actually do anything. They don't solve a goddamn thing. They do a lot of detecting 
and don't find any answers. That's and true. then they happen to walk around a corner at the end and the guy who did it happens to be painting something on a wall and they catch him and he confesses and it's over. Well, actually, they, they do solve a murder because that guy then gets killed. Yeah, I don't know. It, 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 and I, I felt that way with the second one, too, the storyline, oh, the, the, the monkey sex storyline. It think. wasn't monkey sex. No, that was the third that one. That was role play is the second trade paperback. Yeah. That was another one they didn't actually solve. So it was, and I'm kind of okay was, with that, honestly. It's like, not a detective story. It's not. It, it's, it's they are police officers, but there's not really any detective stuff that goes on at all in there. None of the storylines do the like, "Hey, here's the mystery. Hey, look, we're solving it. Scooby Doo, where are you?" Thing. It's it's. Oh, Retro Girl did, absolutely did. Yeah. I mean, yes, but no, because like you say, they didn't actually like. It wasn't through their wit and brilliance and like Sherlockian deduction that they figured shit out. It was kind of through random happenstance, and I think that that kind of sets the tone for the whole thing. And I, th- I that's the yeah. feeling that they're they're doing their best, but they're kind of fucked. And generally, the decks are stacked against them. I think that was really obvious in the in the storyline with what's his face with the big lightning bolt that goes all crazy and yeah. does everything. Just how powerless they are, and I kind of. I thought that that was the best. Why don't they name it Powerless? Powerless. Powerless, (laughs) yes. Yes, it's deliciously ironic. Is it, um, who's the writer who goes along for the the single issue ride along? Oh, God. That was was, amazing. It was Warren Ellis, wasn't it? Is it Warren Ellis? Yeah. Yeah, That's great. I think so. That was a cool little one shot. I mean, I like the book. Uh, I I agree with her assessment that that they don't really do anything. I I didn't get the vibe that you're talking about that, that that's the point. Um, it didn't feel that way to me. It, it feels like they should be detectives detecting and solving crimes. And maybe as I get more into it, I'll just let it go. Um, How far are you into it? Uh, I'm in the middle of the third hardcover. So it would be the, I would be starting the sixth trade. So sure. no flashbacks yet. You have not yeah, had monkey sex. The puzzle, the puzzle look on your face indicates that there are no, no flashbacks. No. no monkey sex. Uh, apparently not the kind of monkey sex that I was thinking of because I've seen sex in the book. But If it's not things that would have your inbox filled with monkey paint, <laughs> monkey cum, and monkey anal, then no. Wow. <laughs> huh. Ready to drink? Yeah. <laughs> so beer. Um so the other thing I'm reading that is completely unrelated to monkey sex in every way uh, is, or by reading I mean read, it's a graphic novel, it's relatively short, called uh, Fun Home by Alison Bechdel, and I've been meaning to read her things because she is, she's the shit in terms of, of graphic novel, memoir, serious type things, and okay. this, is, this is a memoir that's I thought was really well done. It's um, Fun Home, by the way, stands for Funeral Home. It's about her growing up and her dad runs a funeral home. It's kind of about her coming out as lesbian and at the same time learning that her dad is like this very sad, closeted gay man and is kind of so it's surrounding her, his suicide. Under? I haven't seen Six Feet Under. But Six maybe. Feet Under is a good show. It's really good. Well, but the all first I can season think of- is really good and the last episode is really good. Unfortunately, there's four seasons <laughs> in between. <that>. And <laughs> all I could think of when when you said that Fun Home is a funeral home was an episode of fucking Night Court of all things awesome. where there's a guy in there who's like, remember, you can't spell funeral without fun. Hey. <laughs> and it was like, anyway, so Luke, Night Court, what, I just dated myself. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, what are you reading? Am I reading? <laughs> I'm just trying to stop you from getting that beer. Asshole. <laughs> Uh, I read the new Captain America one by Ed Brubaker and and uh, and and the artist McNiven, Steve McNiven. Steve McNiven. It's 
pretty good. It's pretty really good. good. Uh, it's a good jumping. Sorry, it's a very good jumping on point for people who are not familiar with uh, all of the shit that's been going on with Cap for the last six years or seven years. Uh, it's a good way to start the series, and it didn't feel like a complete issue to some degree. It didn't feel like a complete storyline, really. Um, so I don't know. It, It'll, it'll get better, though, because I like Ed Brubaker. I like the stuff he does. And the other thing that I'm reading, I, I started reading the new uh, Bendis Maleve Moon Knight. What? Poor, poor Man's Batman. Uh, I like it, actually. Uh, the, new, the new incarnation is it's... Bendis kind of handles it well. Um, he definitely... He's, not a, he's, ma- he's definitely a C-class superhero and is supposed to be. What? I'd say, like, D-class. I mean, like, so you've got, like... Your superheroes who are like out saving the earth. Okay, that's your a- that's your A listers right there. That's your uh-huh. X Men, your Avengers. Then you got the B listers who are like, yeah, they, you know they're they're doing pretty all right, which is like Thunderbolts, Captain America, as far as the power scale. Then you've got your C listers, which is like Daredevil, Iron Fist. They're saving you know like Hell's Kitchen and Chicago. Moon Knight's like, I've got this this cafe down the road, and I, that shit is locked down. No crimes <laughs> happening in that cafe. I don't know. I um, where did the mystery men fall in that? In that, <laughs> they flaming carrot and Cerebus are all Q listers. Okay, I like it. Uh, God, flaming carrot. The bottom of that scale carrot. is actually just uh, Y, and that's the West Coast Avengers. <laughs> yeah, right up there with uh, um, the Great Lakes Avengers. No, what was the the? Do those actually exist? Yeah. yeah. Oh, good God. When the Hero Initiative was put in, every single state what was got the its UK, own group. What was the UK team that was run by Captain, Captain Britain? Britain? Who cares? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? That's why, that's why I was thinking about it. Why, Oliver? There we go. Why? Right, there, right up there with Alpha Flight. We're protecting this rock and mud from anyone who <laughs> threatens the British Empire <laughs> like the French. <laughs> I liked I liked Moon Knight. Honestly, I li- I'm liking the storyline so far. I'm still not a big fan of Malieve's art. Um, excuse me, um, which is uh, something that that's strange to me because I've I've now read I read all the Daredevil stuff by Malieve. I read recently read Scarlet, uh, which we'll talk about later at the Ooh. end of the show, and uh, and I read and I'm now reading Moonlight and. Like Scarlet and Moon Knight were pretty much they're done s- sort of around the same time. Similar, they're on like issue seven of Scarlet, and they're on issue three of Moon Knight. So he's kind of simultaneously working on them. The art styles are surprisingly different between the two. Uh, Malieve's art style in Moon Knight is very comic booky, like hard edge. Like the characters are very cartoony. Uh, the the art style in Scarlet is clearly surreal done in with a lot of photo reference. Sure. So the characters are very like the, especially facial expressions are very realistic. Um, I mean, his, his drawing style is still very sketchy and has the, the weird like coloring style and the, the splashy shit. But, um, the actual construction of the figures is very different between the two. So does it compare to, uh, like his daredevil stuff? His Daredevil stuff is more of the comic booky style, kind of more like Moon Knight than okay. than Scarlet. So, anyway, yeah, that's um, that's the two main things. I, I'm reading, you know, like one offs here and there of other stuff, but those are the two things that come to come to mind that I've read in the last week or week and a half. So, what about you? Um, so I was going to talk about Fear itself, but yeah, either you're into it or you're not, so it doesn't make an exciting conversation. <laughs> um, so Thunderbolts which is tied into fear itself is as always brilliant. Um, the two things that I'm reading that are sort of out of my normal poll 
are the Flashpoint DC uh, Batman story called Night of Vengeance. In the Flashpoint universe, Bruce Wayne was shot by the robbers as opposed to his parents. Oh, snap. So his dad becomes Batman. And this is going to be Thomas a, Wayne. Thomas Wayne becomes, becomes Batman. Batman. Okay. Uh, and this is a huge spoiler, but Martha Wayne becomes the Joker. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know how that happens, but that's it great. It is written by, it, the team is uh, the Hunter Bowles team, uh, Rizzo and Azarello. Okay. Nice. And it is really, really dark and really good. The ending of issue two just came out, I think, two weeks ago. The end of that book is one of the darkest things I've ever seen in comics. Hmm. I would highly recommend that people go to pick it up. I might. It's... I. F- Fear itself has has cemented for me how much I absolutely despise event books because it is one of those events that you cannot follow an individual book, period. You can't even follow the Fear Itself series, itself. like the seven-issue miniseries, because they are so... Each issue is so individualized and unconnected that y- you read one and don't even fucking... When you get to issue, like, you read the next issue, you have no fucking clue what's going on because so much happens in between. I think that for the first three issues, I would agree with that. But the fourth issue really flips that around. Because <laughs> the third issue is where I gave up. So <laughs> You nice. gave up too soon. Uh, like I've been reading. There's a couple of books that I'm really interested in as far as that goes. Journey into Mystery, Iron Man, Thunderbolts, X-Men. All of those books, like reading their story and then reading Fear Itself, I'm getting a lot out of because I know what the what's really going on. And this is just... Extra info. That's cool. Uh-huh. And it works out really well. The last thing that I'm reading that I picked up on a recommendation from my guy at the local store is Vengeance. Okay. Which is uh, only one issue's come out right now. It's about a group of kids who are mutants. Um, it's got Ultimate Nullifier. Uh, oh, I can't remember what the girl's name. The snake girl who was an X-Men about 10 years ago who releases pheromones from her body that can cause whatever. And right. basically, um, so far what's happened in it is there was a rave. Uh, the ultimate nullifier was asked by the snake girl who used to run a brothel for a three-way, gets invited in, and then Magneto comes and rips the building apart and picks a fight with his kid. The kid is not a mutant, but he has a gun that negates powers for like three minutes. So you watch Magneto get the shit kicked out of him by a 19-year-old snot-nosed kid wow. just because he catches him off guard. Hmm. It's, it's interesting. It is a very... That sounded perspective so on convoluted <laughs> when you started describing it's, it. It is definitely all over the place. Okay. But it's it's a different aspect of the Marvel universe, the mutant section of the Marvel universe than what I've ever seen before. Yeah. One thing that I am not reading right now is a hardback cover of Luxuria because it's not getting released in hardback. That's ever? what I was get that's what I was gonna ever. Sad. Why? No idea. We released it twice, no more. Is it that's a Vertigo book, right? No, it's no. Uh, Icon. Oh. It's the second Casanova book. Well, you know, we're, we're going to cover the first one of those one of these days. Well, yeah, Marvel's <sighs> Wait a minute, are you thinking Luxuria or Gula? Gula, I'm sorry. Okay, cuz you said Luxuria and I was like Yeah. The huh? third one's a uh, Averta. It's like, okay, I understand it's Latin. They're the seven deadly sins. Yeah. Let's get on with it. Yeah, I um Marvel Marvel's to some degree, really, really blows in their uh, decision-making when it comes to collected editions and how they print them. And we'll get into that with, with Runaways later. But, like, um, 
I've noticed that with a lot of their books that like they they refuse to stick to consistent spine designs. They refuse to consist stick to consistent sizes um, covers. That's one of the things that I like about um, about Image for one. Like at least with one particular series at a time, if they pick something at the beginning, they stick with it. They're up, you know, they're they're going into seven years now of both Invincible and Walking Dead, and all those hardcovers match. And that's awesome. That's fucking spectacular, right? Because when I put them on a shelf, they look great together. Yay. But if they're not, you know, I, I almost wish there was some sort of standardization for hardcovers and comics. I know that that would never, ever happen. But it would be nice if when I looked at a shelf, they were all at least mildly the same size. Um, but Marvel's getting better about it. So if they're doing hardcovers of like current stuff, I mean very current, like the story arc finished two months later, hardcover comes out, they all have, it's a gold border, sure. and it they look really nice. However, if it's something from two, three years ago, uh, maybe it's Whatever's gonna be, cheapest. Yeah, it's going to be whatever's cheapest. Well, and not to mention the fact that that gold border thing will last right up until the next project manager that's handling their hardcovers comes on board and changes everything again, you know? So I don't know. Um I mean, DC's not exactly better about that. The pro- DC actually is just bad about releasing hardcovers of shit. I have no idea. Like, not gonna lie, no idea. It, yeah, they're um, especially Vertigo. There's so many Vertigo books that deserve hardcover that's true. editions absolutes. that are not. That's the one consistent they have. The absolutes is it? That's it. Well, so here's the thing. I'll, I'll use Sandman as an example because I just. Um, I just bought whatever you think of Sandman. We're talking about bindings, bindings. I, I know, but Sandman, regardless of your personal opinion about it, it's one of their most popular. It's one of the most popular Vertigo books that's ever been released. I'd say it's the most popular, if not the exactly. So, so what have they done? They've released it in softcover trades, like you five, know, times. Times. five times. They they have a pretty consistent reprinting of the softcover trades. They've released. The Absolute Sandmans, okay, which they recolored and did all this crazy extra you know, work to make them cool. And then they've got one round of hardcovers that came out in like 93 and another round of hardcovers that came out in 2000. And they are completely different, completely incompatible, and never reprinted. Which is like, really irritating. I don't want. I, I mean, I ended up getting. I ended up getting the two thousand one or two thousand editions. Uh, the second the set of hardcovers. I got the set of all ten hardcovers from a guy at my comic book shop who happened to be selling them on, and he was going to put them on consignment in his shop, and decided just when I mentioned it, he's like, "Hey, do you want a set?" The only it's it's missing number three, and that's the only one it's missing. Um, but it just. It just aggravates me that, like, especially um, when it's when you're dealing with comic books, Vertigo is it makes no sense at all. Some of the best books in comics come from the Vertigo line, and like, why the fuck is there not hardcovers of Scalped yet? You know, why the fuck yeah. is there not hardcovers of the first unwritten book? Why are we just now starting to sort of trickle out hardcovers for Fables? You know? Wow. Yeah, I guess so. Like. It just doesn't because DC hates hardback. Uh, not which, true. They're just inconsistent with their when they decide to release something. I don't know. I just I, there's I feel sh- like somebody needs to sit down and and because at least to me, hardcovers are the way that I collect. I that I 
maintain comics, right? Like I'll collect individual issues of stuff, but eventually what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the individual issues of the things that I'm collecting right now. I'm probably going to flip them and buy hardcovers because I can put a hardcover on a shelf and it looks really nice and it lasts for fucking ever. I don't need to bag it. I don't need to board it. I'm not a collector, so I don't really, I'm not worried about fucking variant covers and shit. The beauty of the hardcovers too is that most of them, if I want to see the variant covers, they'll reprint them in the back of the book. Yep. So, <laughs> And it's better binding than like I tend to collect yeah. the top cover and it's because I'm cheap. Sure. Uh, and like Runaways, which I got in the Little Digest edition and has been read like twice and there's already a page that's loose on one of them. So that's oh, I hate sad. That. Uh, that happened with... Um my one of my scalped oh and i know it happened with uh, two different volumes of 100 bullets that i had sad like, i definitely had that problem with the 100 bullets trades the glue just did not hold it was terrible yeah anyway uh we had a few uh bits of comic news uh the first did we talk about the powers tv show filming in chicago yeah. last week okay yeah, yeah so um i am not uh, the one thing i didn't mention last week i'm not so sure about their casting i haven't actually sense. seen the pictures, although Bendis apparently liked who they had for Dean at Pilgrim. They did. So they cast Jason Patrick as Christian Walker. Okay. I don't know. Have you ever seen The Losers? Yeah. That's no, the most I know recent thing. He's is. the bad guy. I don't know about that. That's, he doesn't seem bulky enough, but then yeah. I guess. He, maybe he bulked up. I don't know. Patrick he also Warburton. doesn't seem. Patrick Warburton. He, he doesn't seem stoic enough. To me, like that, that because that's kind of Christian Walker tends to be very he is kind very of stoic, stoic yeah. and hopefully hard assed. Jason Patrick can pull stoic out of his butt. I think uh, he I'm could. hoping. Uh, the actress that they got to play Lucy or, or Dina yeah. is Lucy Punch, and that's a terrible um, name. Yeah, she, the only thing she's destined for porn or acting. <laughs> I've seen. I like how you differentiate porn or acting. Or both. <laughs> um, porn acting is legitimate. Art house films. There you go, both at the same time. I haven't bunny? seen her. I haven't seen her in much, but the one thing that I distinctively remember her from was a show called The Class that nobody watched, and it only lasted one season because the the first five episodes of that show are wildly inconsistent. They had no idea what they were really doing. They didn't really come. The, the show didn't find its voice until five or six episodes in, and by that time, it was too late. When they finally found their voice, the show was hilarious. Now, Lucy Punch played a character who was this... She was a weather reporter for a local news station. The, the premise of the class was a, a group of high school people who like got reunited at their 10-year reunion and then antics ensue. Um, she she looks way too femme in this IMDb picture to be Dina, but um, yeah. I'm sure she could butch it's up. It's like someone grabbed her jaw and the top of her head and just stretched out her face. <laughs> in the class, she was terrible. And I mean terrible enough that by episode six, she had almost no part in the show except as a slapstick character that other people laughed at. She was fucking awful. So I'm really worried about what she's going to do with in the Powers pilot. So um, um, she better not oh fuck God. up Dana Pilgrim because Dana Pilgrim is like one of the most awesome. What is the name of the guy from Lost who's playing um, the Iron Man ripoff? Oh yeah, I, no, I know who you're talking about, and um, I don't remember his name. Deep, deep, deep. Shit, I, they just announced it too. I don't remember the guy's name. Yeah, um, it's not important. It's he's the, good. He's Mr. Good Mr. Black from Lost. Yeah, he's a good actor. I don't know if he'll be able to save it, and considering that his 
major role will be removed after the first six episodes or yeah. whatever. Well, to be honest, uh, the one thing that's I follow Brian Michael Bendis on Twitter. Everyone should actually because his tweets are actually pretty awesome. Like a lot of good information, especially about power stuff. He likes all the cast. Including Lucy Punch and including you know Jason Patrick, that so well it's not like he's going to be like so guys my new show is coming out and the cast is shit. Well, true, but, but he might just have awkward silence and not say anything about yeah. it. I gotta Instead say Charles S. Dutton, Charles Dutton playing the the captain is fucking perfect. Like you couldn't get a better guy to play the captain than Charles Dutton. I like that choice. I don't know. We'll we'll see if the show. The the other thing is we need to see it, if the show even gets picked up. Right, because there's all we being fans are in tune with the fact that it's filming and everything is going. You know, Twitter's going crazy because it's going being filmed, but no one else knows. The entire lock and key pilot got filmed with special effects and done, and never got picked up. So, which I can't wait till that gets leaked. Which showing so to to that actually SDCC. Yeah, I was gonna say that transitions into the next story that uh, San Diego Comic Con starts tomorrow. And we're not there, which fucking blows. I made a choice this year. I was I could choose like I've got all the local cons that I go to. I go to Emerald City. I go to PAX. You know those are great. Uh, I made the choice to go to Gen Con this year instead of San Diego, and I've, I'm I'm still gonna have fun at Gen Con. I just think next year is definitely gonna be my year to go to San Diego because. Um, I've never been, I've been to Gen, this will be my fifth time at Gen Con and where is I've, Gen Con? Indianapolis. Indianapolis. I like it. It's, it's a lot of fun. I, why does that wa- middle of friggin' middle America town get a con? Cause it's the Denver middle of America doesn't. because, um, to be honest, because the con start when TSR started Gen Con, mm-hmm. they were in Madison or not Madison, Wisconsin. They were in Geneva, Wisconsin, which is, uh, population six. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And, that's why it's called Gen Con, because it was originally called the Geneva Convention. Oh. Wah, wah. And uh, they moved it to Milwaukee for many, many years. And then Milwaukee. about eight years ago, they switched it to Indianapolis. No, it was, than that, no, it was 2002. Really? Yep. Yeah. I was still working for Watsi when they were uh, when they switched it over, and that was the last one I went to. It was 2002 or 2003. I want to go to fucking San Diego so bad. And I want to go as a consumer, too. I, I pray that I'm not <laughs> working for a company that, that would make me work that convention. Because I've, I've worked Gen Con for, for Watsi, and that's a fucking terrible experience. That's like, I, I really like Gen Con, and I hate, hated working it as, as, a, as an employee of Wizards. You mean so. it's not as much fun as like sitting in Megatron's art booth going, look at the picture <laughs> of poop! <laughs> that's why, that's why to bring up conventions, Andy has yeah. been so so nice as to, to get us a booth at, at Emerald City Comic Con hey. next I rock. year. Uh, so we're going to get to sit in the booth and argue about who gets to walk around at what times and you know bitch at people for being gone too long and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and we're going to do, if I can figure out the rigging we're going to try and do a live show from the booth uh, at least once while we're at the show so that ought to be fun um uh, so womanthology you wanted to talk about that Anne? yeah and i think this is this might have been the i don't think it was brian bendis's twitter but some comic book person's twitter there's a giant kickstarter project um called womanthology which is all about taking more experienced women in comics, pairing them up with the less experienced women in comics and making an anthology of short stories. Um, And it's going to be published by IDW, but it's all funded by the internet. 
They R- Renee Deliz yes. is who you want to follow on Twitter to get information about this. She so. is the the lady that's doing the things. Yeah. Um, they had have done really really well. They had a twenty five thousand dollar goal, which they met in about twenty hours. Which is absurd for for Kickstarter. It's absurd. That's like they gave themselves absurd. thirty days to make that much money. Twenty hours. Um, at this point, they've more than doubled that, and they're looking at um, printing. You know, a very large run. They they had a pretty modest run to set out to begin with, um, and then probably doing a second one, which won't be exclusive to women, but will be ab- about pairing more experienced creators with less experienced creators. Wait, wait. So the second womenthology it's probably is not going to be just women. I'm not sure if they will title it the same thing. I'm not sure. Maybe they will. But, you know, they're like... Womanthology 2, not really womanthology? <laughs> Peopleology? Whoa, man. Whoa, Thology. man. There you go. It's just called um, thology. Thology. <laughs> we're, we're thologizing right now. But uh, what's cool about their fundraiser on Kickstarter, and I think it's just generally brilliant for Kickstarter fundraising, which is hard, is that... Uh, they have pulled in a lot of different comic artists to do like little little promos or like you can get a copy of the book with a drawing by this cool person if you pledge right. X amount of money. Or like you can get your art portfolio critiqued by this person if you pledge X amount of money. Or what cool. I did, which was you can get a replica of one of the Lock and Key Keys for this amount of money, which was really cool. Oh, they got... they. They hooked up with the skeleton key guys. Yep. Oh. Yep. There's a. Did you get the Omega key? No, I got the Hercules key. I wish I got the Omega key. I wish I got the Omega key. Dude, the they Herc- have a set of six, but you have to pledge six hundred and fifty dollars, and I'm not that. I'm not that spending. Someday, when I clean out my garage and I can actually use all my woodworking equipment, I'm going to make a copy of the giant key. You should, because like, that would be rad. Fucking six foot tall, right? Wooden key with a big metal thing in the middle. Yes. And then you're going to hit me with it during one of the shows, aren't you? Probably. It's true. Probably. I need something to hit you with. I would also like to point out that one of the promos that they have on there is uh, if you pledge them $500, you can get a original page of Deadpool art by Rob Liefeld. No one has touched them. No one has touched them. No one will touch them for the next however many days. Oh, no one is you that get a r- stupid. Original piece of Daredevil art with no feet, bucket hands, and the left side of his face melting off his Luke, skull. Luke, Luke, you're not looking at this the right way. You could destroy an original piece of dead. Oh my god, oh my god you're god. right. Yes. <laughs> That's beautiful. I man. could have my revenge. Oh my god. Because I've been talking about wanting to go to a con and rip up a copy of Youngblood number one in front of his face. <laughs> and maybe it would be even better if I had an if I spent five hundred dollars on an original piece of art and then fucking burned it in front of him. Yes. Oh I'm god. Just saying. <laughs> this is what I think of your art, sir. Oh man, they have been releasing. I, to, you to, cannot get off that. I can't. I you can't. talked about it because, last time too, man. Because you know what? I they have released more and more artwork from the Infinite, and I shit you not, they have put out probably five or six finished pages from this comic book. Everybody's face, the, their left eye is like sliding down their skull in every <laughs> single panel. How Rocky the fuck? Road. <laughs> get a fucking ruler, like. Make a straight line in something. Come on. I think I made that joke last time. Oh, well. It, whatever. It, it, just, it can be made twice because it's that bad. I mean, you, you type him into Google and this thing that pops up at, on the autocomplete after Rob Liefeld Rob is Liefeld art. Rob Liefeld or Strong's. Yeah. God, you know, this entire time we've been talking about all this stuff, I haven't heard a peep out of Joel. What do you think about this, Joel? Uh, anyway, yeah. So Hitler porn. 
Okay. Okay. <laughs> that seems like a serious problem. <laughs> All right. Makes you feel he's a cool exec for the hardest steel. As Iron Man, all jets of place. He's fight and slide with repulsor rays. A blazing armor. Yes, Iron Man. A blazing bomber. You guys want to talk about Runaways now? Uh, we are. We uh. We decided to do the first two trades of Runaways. Actually, <laughs> I decided to do sort the first of. two trades of Runaways because I thought that the first two trades of Runaways were the same thing that's encompassed in the Volume 1 hardcover. That's not the case. The Volume 1 hardcover is actually issues 1 through 18, um, which is funny because uh, the Volume 1 hardcover actually closes out one of the major storylines in the book. I don't know who the mole is yet. And the, the first two trades don't do that the first two trades actually kind of end on a whimper um a little bit not but so much a cliffhanger as like a vague cliff scrambler <laughs> uh the original books came out in 2003 uh it's written by brian k vaughn the same guy that does why the last man and ex machina and what else what else has he done pride of baghdad oh yes i've heard very good things about pride of Bad- baghdad actually so he's written plenty of shit uh, it's drawn by Adrian Alfona for the most part. There are other artists involved in in some parts, but the trades. Yeah, you know okay. what? Let, let's fucking start with that subject. Wait, wait, before we get to that, real quick, I just want to talk about the number of trades. Yeah. Or is that what you is that what you're going with? The different incarnations of the trades, considering the fact that we are sitting at a table and <laughs> all three of us have different versions of the trades. And Joel like didn't even bring his. Which I know is the worst part. You're a dick, Joel. You know that? No, I, I haven't even started it, dude. Have you not been hearing me? That's my Jesus. So, like, you've got the digest versions. Andy's got the regular trade versions. I've got the hardcover. Um, and there these are three aren't even... Di- there are three digest versions. There really? are two black and white versions. Jeez. Yeah. There are also... There's two different versions of the soft covers that have different covers. No, there's, there's more than two. Oh, really? There, I think there's three or four. Oh, good God. There's... Uh, there, are th- there are four different versions of the hardcover. Yeah, because right? there's there's hardcover versions of the six issue shot things. Right. And there's the one through eighteen, and that doesn't even encompass volume two. Yeah, which is trade paperback number two, and <laughs> it's like, what issues does that cover? So one through eighteen. Uh, which one through eighteen? The second one through eighteen. God. If you want to talk about this comic, then we talk about it in terms of number of issue because yes. that's the only way we to read make the heads first or tails twelve issues. Yeah, the actual uh, first twelve issues. It it <laughs> it's telling to me that when I went on Wikipedia to look up information about this book, they've got a a fucking matrix to describe when different versions of the collected editions have released and in mm-hmm. what forms. Um, so it, it's it's. You know, we talked about this subject earlier about how Marvel can't seem to get it, get their pull their head out of their ass about how to how to reprint books in trade form. Um, they can't keep consistent spines. They can't keep consistent designs. They, you know, kind of just haphazard about it. Um, I wish I could remember the book that the comic shop that I go to, which is uh, Dun- Comics Dungeon over in I guess it's technically Ballard or Wallingford, Wallingford. was what? talking about a Thor book. And I'm trying to remember what Thor book it was, but it was one that was like critically, very widely critically acclaimed uh, 
from somewhat recent never got a decent trade paperback and then it when it finally Blood came Thunder. out it was when it finally came out it was in like a weird digest size that wasn't even like at least the digest size that you have in are are like these are manga size yeah right so they're, they're i figured that was like somewhat purposeful of them to be like hey yeah book for teenagers let's it's, make it manga size uh-huh because that'll that'll hit a shelf in a border some well, yep. well not They're anymore not it won't anymore. surprise uh, guess what <laughs> nothing is hitting shelves and borders yeah. anymore but this this one the thor one was like an in-between size it wasn't a, it wasn't a straight digest it wasn't a full trade size it was like this weird in-between format i've got a couple books like, like that actually uh, it's just uh, Pixu. It's frustrating. Be warned. We're going to talk about this book, and I, th- I think we're going to be mostly positive about it. But be warned that trying to find it in any consistent format is a little tough. Hardcovers, especially because first one's out of print. The first hardcover's out of print. It was issues one through eighteen. The second issue, the second hardcover is issues uh, one through eighteen. No, no, no. It's it's nineteen through twenty-four because volume one went through 20, oh, 24 issues. Yeah. So it's 19 through 24, and then the hardcovers after that are all six-issue hardcovers from that start with volume two, issues one through six. No, no, no. There, there's a volume two that's one through 18. Oh, really? Yeah. Holy shit. I'm, yeah, maybe I, I, I need to go I'm find not... that, I guess. In like, conclusion, it's bloody impossible to find consistent versions of this book. It's very easy to find this book. That's true. Like, it exists in so many formats that somebody's bound to have it somewhere. Anyway, let, let, I, I want to move on because... Um, I've, this is actually the third Brian K. Vaughan thing I've read recently. I just finished Why the Last Man. I'm about halfway through the second hardcover of Ex Machina, and now I'm reading Runaways, which I've read I've read this, this hardcover trade before, um, and I own the second hardcover trade, but I haven't read through it. It's probably, I don't want to say the, the best writing that it's the Vaughan has done. I'll say it. Really, uh, the one thing that I will say is it that it's... It wraps up the best. It's, well, but it's he doesn't most- wrap it up. Does he? Like, because it continues on, and it's not all Brian K. Vaughn, is it? Volume two, and I think it starts out with him. But I don't, when you finish up, uh, it, volume trade one. two of volume one, yes, he finishes up that run. I'm impressed so far by his ability to depict depict teenagers that sound like teenagers. You know, that don't sound because a lot of other books that I've read fail miserably at depicting teenagers to sound like like either uh, they're trying too hard to be yeah. like I'm a angsty and shit, or they're not trying at all and they're like okay so you wrote adults with cute haircuts yeah the one that the one that i'll i'll go off on right now is the current run of x23 like the main character in x23 is the fucking most inconsistent whiny like sometimes teen sometimes not kind of sociopath yeah but it's not depicted as a sociopath it's depicted as a fucking idiot and it does it doesn't come across consistent right um so the characters in here, like, f- they generally feel like, okay, that's about how a teen- teenager would, would handle this situation and would talk for the most part. Um, I'm not sure if I entirely believe they're 12-year-old characters. The 11, yeah, whatever. Oh, I can't remember. Uh, we'll call her. Bruiser is her. Str- yeah. Bruiser is her su- secret superhero. Name. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, she she's a little over the top sometimes. When she's not asleep. Yeah, which she is. They're quite, and I don't know. I I totally believe their reactions to her. I'm just yeah. not sure. I always believe her dialogue, in part because I like that I interact with at least one 12 year old at my work who's like really mature, and I'm like this person <laughs> whom I know is way more mature than this character in this book, and they're supposed to be the same age. So yeah, I thought her reaction the the one reaction that they have in this book was which felt real, pretty real, was the one 
when they first go wake her up after yes. finding out and she's like she freaks out and you know yells at everybody and like that her reaction oh, yeah. there felt pretty well handled I know that this book is it's interesting because this book is considered don't you hurt my mommy I think is the line uh, yeah yeah this book is considered a young readers book, um, mm-hmm. which or a or a teen readers book, like young adult, young adult. Yeah, they were trying to sell it to anyone they could. Uh, I can see why because I think like as much as um, I think you could get a lot out of this if you were the character's age and you're like, well, I kind of feel like my parents are 16? evil. Hey, look, yeah, they. I mean, the characters range between twelve uh, and sixteen. I think. Yeah, seventeen. I think um, sixteen or seventeen is the oldest, and that's uh, the dude with the the gauntlets. And then the rest of them are varying between 15, fourteen 16. and and seventeen. So and eleven for the one girl. So I just want to point out one thing about the inconsistency of the writing. I really feel like Brian K. Vaughan had like four or five completely different stories that he wanted to write, and he combined them all. It's like I want to write a story about a girl with a dinosaur, a guy with a robot suit, an alien. A sorceress supreme, a little girl who gets super strength, and a really smart guy. I don't I know. I only do one book. I'm going to mash them together. At this, I think that was pretty intentional, actually. And I base that in part because in my little digest version at the back, he has his um, extended pitch, pretty much. And I think he's going on the tradition of like exciting superheroes, teams, super friends, Avengers. Yeah. Dino girl, go do well, stuff. I, I gotta say that one of decipher the things, or attack. <laughs> I one of the things that I actually really enjoyed about that was the fact that it, it it seemed it seemed logical to me. Like when you look at superhero teams in other books, you look at you know any superhero team, the Avengers, Excalibur, like all the bullshit teams we were talking about earlier. <laughs> uh, even go over to DC and talk about like Legion of Superheroes and um, fucking Justice League and all that shit. Legion of Superheroes. It's such an... Ex- the, like, all of the characters... All of the characters have wildly different powers. But in those instances, they have wildly different powers because they've all been individual superheroes with their own backgrounds and books for so long. And then some writer went, well, maybe in this Let's world they decide to team up. Wish them together. So, And in this book, I feel like it's legitimate for them to all be so wildly different because they're... Their parents have gathered together as you know a, a supervillain team, basically, and they they are just thrown into this situation and all kind of figure out what the fuck's going on all at once. So yeah, I bought that. This. Honestly, I feel like you could eliminate any one of the six characters, and it would be a completely coherent team. But you're saying it's not a coherent team with all six? With all six, it just seems too scattered. Like, you can have your one, like, you know, you've got your, your core members, and you have the one person who's a little bit, or a lot different than everyone else. I think they do. And I think that's Alex. In, especially in the first 12 issues, they prove that he's not, he doesn't have powers, He doesn't really. have anything cool. He, he has no powers. He just, but he's, he's smart. Very smart. He's very smart, but he doesn't have anything that differentiates him specifically as, like, a superhero of any sort. All of the others have something, right? And I know that one of them, the... Uh, Gert's character is her she doesn't specifically have a power so much as she has a pet that's attuned to her well same with what's his face that has just cool power glove the gauntlets right he's the he's the Iron Man of the team Um, really it's just the 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 oldest girl and the youngest girl the alien and the mutant that actually have any superpowers out of any of them right but to be fair their parents don't have powers either 
uh, fair and except the, for time travel the time travelers the the thing that the thing that i get out of this book too is if you look at all these characters they are all marvel archetypes mm-hmm. right there's the really intelligent strategist guy there's the mutant the really strong mutant girl there's the magic wielder who has her magic staff there's um kazar kazar <laughs> there's uh the alien and then there's the tech guy and th- that's like they're all kid versions of marvel archetypes who don't quite know how to handle what they've been given and the other thing with like the large ensemble cast i feel like that's very that that may be the thing that kicks it into young adult land for me is like in, if in young adult writing, um, I oh feel like God, a wider that cover's horrible. Yeah, this is very like on the digest really version. Bad. The it's digest very very manga. version is the, just atrocious. It's yeah, done it's really by bad. some different artist, and it's made to look like manga. And I think that is that the same artist that did issues eleven and twelve that know. was just no good. My point is that with um, with young g- adult stuff, you want a maximum variety of characters so that a, a variety of your audience can feel connections with different yeah. ones. That makes sense. Actually, I really like. Issues 11 and 12. I liked the art. I thought that it was okay. I, uh, it's Takeshi Miyazawa is the name of the artist who did that cover, and it's terrible. The cover, the cover on the hardcover is pretty awesome, actually. I really yeah, I like the, it. It's, it's actually it's missing the dinosaur yeah. for whatever reason, but it, uh, I, don't, I don't like the tech guy. Dinosaur awesome. Because he's a you douche You don't guy? like him because he's a douche? He's no, a I don't like him because he looks douche. like a fucking caveman he looks on the like cover. Charlie well, Brown plus caveman. <laughs> Uh, uh, I enjoyed the writing in these issues because, um, for the most part, it all felt pretty logical. Like the, the 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 one thing that I really liked about it was that in he had to come up with a way that the characters couldn't just call on someone to get them out of the their problems. Yeah, and I th- I thought he handled that pretty gracefully. The fact that their parents are supervillains. So I, we never really described the premise of oh, the book. Yeah. The whole never. premise of the book is that all these kids come together once a year while their parents have a meeting that um, their parents are all rich to some degree. And uh, they come together under the guise of a of doing charity work where they're they're going dis- to discuss um, like different charity philanthropy and in the middle of all this they stumble upon their parents uh in costume uh performing a ritual and sacrificing a girl uh in a ritual and it turns out that they're all to some degree villains and they're part of a villainous uh group called the pride um and then they all as the title implies they all run away and uh hilarity ensues and velociraptors. Velociraptors. And sorry it took us that long to fucking get to the premise of the book, but I'd just like to put one thing in here. I was like, Yeah, Brian K. Vaughn, he totally finished the story. Do you know who finished the story? Huh. Who? Joss Whedon. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. Nice. That seems ideal, right? Brian yeah, K. Vaughn is seems... really good at starting stories. And Joss can't Whedon has pretty them, good endings. He's, he's pretty good at finishing. I, like I was it. a little disappointed with the ending of Buffy, but that's okay. I think he set it up for what it was. Oh, he ended it after the series. This. He ended this the first volume at, at issue like oh, twenty four. So, fuck. which is which is cool because uh, Joss Whedon. I've liked the stuff that Joss Whedon has done. I really liked um, even when he's not fully writing stuff. I like is uh, um, I liked like Buffy season eight the the comics which those, yeah. you have to finish I, I, the I, series. Yeah. I know, but um, I'm eagerly anticipating getting into that. Yeah, uh, I really liked Frey. Which once you get done with Buffy, read Frey. Yeah. It's actually really good. Um, I lost my train of thought again, as usual. But I did remember that one of the things I wanted to talk about was um, like one of the first, 
one of the first storylines in the book, one of the first major quote unquote villains that they encounter is, you know, the kid. They go out to get food at the at the Circle A, you know, mini mart and they encounter a group of, of robbers trying to rob the place and they decide we gotta do something about it because we have the ability to. So, you know, they bust up the robbery and one of the kids that has one of my you favorite know, lines in the entire book, actually. Which one? Oh, crap. It's the power pack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Um, that's one of the things that I do like about uh, Brian K. Vaughn's writing in this particular thing is he does make he, he does make a lot of... He's very Whedon-esque in his references to little side things that, you know, have very little uh, actual impact, but they're funny. Stark know? Naked Industries. Yeah. But I I thought that the the handling of the of the vampire guy was actually a really cool one. It was a really cool way to introduce a nemesis for them, at least to to start something. To it, you know, it provided a diversion from the kids versus parents storyline that they were working on, and also gave them you know gave them a little bit of a purpose to pull together. And the resolution of it, I thought, was pretty awesome like it was one of the few times i'm a big thing about character development in books like this and that's what i enjoy is books that are written well enough that you can see a definitive arc for a character and that point when when carolina you know tells the vampire just fucking kill me because i don't want to be an alien anymore i want to you know i my whole life has been turned upside down and i want to die and then the guy i don't think it was an alien that she was talking about wanting to be no, that's. I don't, I don't think it has anything to do with that. No, no, no. The whole point of that was that she didn't like. If you read before all of this, she she specifically talks about not wanting people to know that she's an alien. She's like she knows she's an alien, and they say that. And there's a point where she tells everyone else that when they're introducing, like at the very beginning, when they're first introducing her to Topher, and before they introduce her to Topher, she specifically has a conversation about saying. Uh, don't you know? Just tell them I'm a mutant. Whatever. I just don't want to be. I don't want people to know I'm an. I'm some kind of alien freak. So it's very. Cl- they make a very clear point about the fact that she's really put off by the fact that she is not human. She would rather be introduced as a mutant to describe her powers than introduced as an alien. I think that she's talking about being a lesbian. What? I think it's a really nice. If that's what's going on, there's a, that's a really nice way to couch it in this kind of cool extended metaphor that at the same time is like literally yes she is an alien but she's got the same sort of like personal disambiguation and general feelings of like what the fuck is going on with me and maybe i don't want to exist coming from both directions that's possible i mean that that's one way to interpret it but that's not something that um i think you can find support for it in the text here it is hey can you guys do me a favor if topher asks about my powers or whatever can you please not mention that i'm you know an alien I don't want to make him any more freaked out than he already is, okay? Topher doesn't need to know I'm not not from this planet. And he, and then she says, if he says anything, just tell him I'm a mutant. That's what I was talking about. That's the conversation I was talking about as far as her not wanting to be outed as an alien. Maybe that's... I think there are undercurrents. They're not directly sure, talking about them, but everyone else is assuming that that's what she's talking about. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, undercurrents is fine, and and maybe that's something that you guys caught that I didn't. Um, it's something that I, I was. I need to, you know, read further in the in the story to absolutely. see. Absolutely, I, I will freely admit one of the things about this comic as well. Uh, 
I I usually read deeper into a lot of things and I like when I'm reading a comic like Desolation Jones like you listen to that episode and 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 I'm Joel is constantly calling me out for right Joel for you know not for reading things darker than they actually are mm. um this comic I absolutely did not everything I read in this comic I took at face value and I did not I didn't look for subtext I didn't look for undercurrents nothing <laughs> I think um, that that again is like that's why it's categorized as a, as a teen comic because you really can take the entire thing at face value if you yes. so desire. Um, but where I was going with that is that I liked the I liked the way that it resolved with her. You know, she was she was kind of giving up, right? Mm-hmm. And she's like, I just you know just kill me because I don't really want to I don't really want to deal with all this bullshit anymore and I don't want to become evil and I don't want to become evil and I and you know I've got all this stuff that I don't want to I don't want to weighing me down anymore and then he starts to bite her and drinks her blood and her blood you know filled with sunlight kills him which I thought was an awesome resolution by the way right I, I liked the little very short moment after that where they're like, how did you know that your blood would do that to him? And she's like, she's just flat out says, I didn't. Everything I said was absolutely true. And then she gets interrupted and, you know, life moves on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's moments like that in the books that I like. And, th- and I think that's one of the things that Brian Kavon is really good at mm-hmm. is his character depictions and his development of his characters. I completely forgot about the goggles when he's wearing it. He's wearing them and the girls are in their underwear. Yeah. I'm like, what do those do? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. Take those <laughs> off right now. <laughs> Yeah. The Cloak and Dagger story actually is probably one of the... I really, really like what they did with, I think it's Tyrone uh, Cloak, when yeah. he loses the cloak. Yeah, that was very cool. Uh, that's... We suddenly I, gets if, a stutter and... If I remember, that's how he, he... Like, they've had that happen a couple times, like, maybe 20 years ago, and... When, it, as a non-Marvel canon knower anything about her, when did Cloak and Dagger arise? 80. 1980 or so. Uh, they had their own series. Mm-hmm. It was um, on one half. It was Cloak and Dagger. On the other half, it was Doctor Strange. Oh, okay. It was a six, 32 page flip book. So you had mm-hmm. about 12 pages of story on each side, and then you know your hostess fruit pies advertisements with Daredevil versus the punks, and he defeated them by giving them fruit snacks. Well, that's how you defeat all the punks. <laughs> Pretty much. They were a really cool character for a while, and they I'm had. Mr. What? Giving Mr. T milk? Did you Is say that- milk? Or MILFs. <laughs> MILFs. Give Mr. T MILFs and he will be appeased. Yes, that's true. Jesus Christ, I said it's like giving Mr. T milk. I guess I should have said reference to the A-team. Anybody? No? No. What I you don't s- know culture. What I'm you too said old. Was- I'm too young. <laughs> <laughs> that's absolutely true. Is yelling from another room, so whatever. Yeah. So you did not like the Cloak and Dagger arc? I didn't mind it. I just didn't. I was kind of indifferent toward it. Um, I, I've never been. I've never been much into the cloak and dagger. Cloak and dagger as characters. I don't really like their them much. I did like how they were referred. They like. There's one very small moment where they're like they get referred to as B list B list superheroes, and then uh, teetotalers. Yeah, teetotalers. That's later on. But one of the. One of the kids actually says a couple of B-list uh, superheroes from the East Coast, and then 
Cloak goes, B-list? And Dagger <laughs> goes, image doesn't matter, does it? <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, like, <laughs> I, I liked that interchange. I really liked when but, the Cloak and Dagger's like, man, we took these guys quicker out, or out quicker than we took out Stiltman. <laughs> One of the things that disappointed me in this whole thing, and it kind of came out with the with the with that Cloak and Dagger arc, was the... I did like the f- how how much of a point Brian K. Vaughn made of L.A. not really being not really having any superheroes like the whole West Coast basically mm-hmm. you know that he makes a he makes a point that oh, what was the line where he's talking about oh we see all these you know superhero things happening and we live in L.A. so we feel so far away f- so disconnected yeah. from them yes Iron West Man. West Coast Avengers has existed. But Iron Man, the thing, the thing about Iron Man in most of the books is that he spends, maybe this is not true lately, but for most of that time he was spending, you know, he's spending all his time with the Avengers, which would have meant, you know, worldwide shit. So even though he may be based in L.A., that's not usually where he was fighting. Dazzler? Like, ooh, <laughs> there you go. Representing the United States West Coast. Dazzler. So absolutely right. There were no superheroes on the West Coast. Um, and I like they, you know they even make that point um, in the new Moon Knight. They make a point of the fact that that Mark Spector is one of the only major superheroes to to exist in the L.A. area. Okay. So one of the things that bothered me was the fact that there wasn't a way that they could just move the X Men to yeah San Diego maybe or like or San Francisco. Just call on somebody. You know, call the, these kids. It seems to me like in a world. Where there's so goddamn many mutants and superheroes, and th- there's a lot of mutants in this world because this is before House of M. There should be, there should have been a way for them to just be like call the Avengers hotline and be like, "My parents murdered somebody. Come help, please." They kind of also make the point that the Avengers have bigger shit to deal with than these kids and Murder. the people who are dealing with uh, these kids and their situations are normal police officers for the most part who are all on the payroll of the Pride. So one thing that I guess I don't like about the story is that there's the Pride who have every newspaper and they've got people infiltrating every police department, yet no one has mentioned them before. It seems a little far-fetched. I don't know. I could see them having a slightly more local control, like, you know, the mobsters that have bought out the city of L.A. L.A., I can understand, like, completely. California, even, and, like, sort of, you know, that area. Okay. Worldwide, no. 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 Well, they do make a good point, though. Though they have time travelers. They do. They. I don't think they really expressed that their reach went worldwide so much. Um, but there are certain things that there are certain things that end up being national no matter what. Like at the time, like in the early two thousands, Amber Alerts were a big deal. They still are to some degree. But if you you know if the state of California issues an Amber Alert from a, for a kidnapping, then it's going to go nationwide because that's the whole point of the Amber Alert system, right? Um, but I thought they kind of made a point that it was it was local police. Like you I know, thought they said that no matter what city they went to, that they had. Yeah. They did. They didn't. Brian K. Vaughn pulled a neat little trick with that kind of half explaining it away in a in a in a writer's trick by having somebody in the book go, "Uh, it's a secret secret society, dumbass." Of course, we've never heard of them. That's his best, you know, best attempt yeah. because he was really writing a book that wasn't set in the Marvel universe. But whatever, sort of it is. Sort like of it wave. is, kind of. Yeah, exactly. I think we've kind of exhausted the, the the writing in the book. What about the artwork? What do you guys think of Adrian Alfona's art? I think it works. I think it's it's 
kind of manga-ish, but not so intensely manga like What's-His-Face. But not that I really minded the, the manga art in it. But uh, I don't know. I thought it had the good... It w- didn't take itself too seriously, but it wasn't so like ridiculous as to not make me take the story seriously. Yeah. Also, I think that absorbing a staff into your body, especially as a teenage girl, creepy and phallic. Yes. I, I gotta say, I, I like the art okay. I'm 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 mostly indifferent toward it. Um the one thing that aggravates me a little bit about the the way he draws characters is Faces? That, uh specific facial feature, the mouth. Like everybody's either Mongoloid? Yeah. Uh, everybody's either <laughs> got their mouth wide the fuck open like they've unhinged their jaw like a python or they're like pucker-lipped and they're they're always like kissy-faced you know and that that (laughs) is a little aggravating every once in a while but um especially the girls the girls are always always kissy-faced unless they're screaming at somebody there there was only one particular one panel where i thought he pulled off an expression that you'd you don't normally see people pull off fairly well, which was the scene where Topher and Carolina are in the room and they're talking and she's kind of going kind of a little psycho hose beast on him. And she looks at him and wants to kiss him. And she does the the lip bite thing where she's like biting her bottom lip and Mm kind of smiling at him. And I thought that that panel in particular was really well rendered because that's an expression that I feel like it's hard to, it's hard to pull off correctly. And I thought he did an admirable job of it. Aside from that, I think the artwork is, it's okay. It's nothing, it's nothing spectacular, but it's, um, it gets the point across and it, it, it's fitting for, if it is supposed to be a young adult thing, I think it fits the, the feeling pretty well. So that's what I, what I thought. What about you, Andy? What do you think of the artwork? I really like the cloak and dagger stories artwork. (laughs) I'm sorry, but like that is one of the coolest. It reminds me a lot of Mark Millar, or no, uh, I'm sorry, of um, Kickass's uh, John Romita Jr. John Romita Jr. Huh. Like, if you look at the facial structures, that is totally JRJR. Maybe I, I I don't think I agree because I think it's a little too manga for that. But I think one of the things that aggravated me about it is that it's definitely a manga style of artwork in those two issues. To the like, I thought that cloak and dagger themselves were rendered extremely well like i like the way that they drew drew those characters i thought they made dagger very pretty what i didn't like was the rest of the cast the rest of the cast and the the um the sweat like the typical manga i'm nervous thus i have sweat droplets on my giant sweat droplets on my face and that's what i'm using to express the fact that i'm nervous i swear to god it sounded like you said vagina manga tropes what (laughs) <laughs> I don't remember seeing vaginas on faces in this particular uh, issue, but Jean-Michel Clan book, you seen that? <laughs> but um, speaking of vaginas, I don't think their sweat drops are that huge. I mean, it wasn't so overblown. <laughs> I'm just gonna let you guys uh, sit with that for a while. Oh, actually, I think you'll be the only one sitting with that. Hey. Oh. I have some oh. issues with Dagger's costume, but I have issues with a lot of female Marvel costumes. Well, that's what I like. They silly. It did look really good, and they and they they called it out too. Yes, right? I appreciated which is, that. Which is cool. Like you know, they call it. They what's his face calls her it. a skank, and then <laughs> so what did you call me? Just because I have giant slits across my breasts. What is it specifically that you liked so much about the cloak and dagger story at the end? Like, um, I really like the interpretation of cloak when he doesn't have the cape. Which as is the stutterer? Yeah, as the stutterer. I mean, because he really was just a junkie before. Actually, they were both 
were just junkies before yeah. they were turned into Cloak and Dagger. And they need those powers in order to function in any sort of way without crippling addictions. Yeah. Um, I like the fact that they weren't drawn as some artists take them where they look like they're in their 30s. I mean, they are supposed to be just some kids who got kidnapped by a pharmaceutical company, horribly experimented on, and then escaped. Yeah, but, but the thing is, is that I don't remember them ever redoing the Cloak and Dagger, like, origin. So it's like, it's one of the things that's always aggravated me about comics in general, is that I would kill, I would kill to have a comic book company that has realistic aging for their characters. It'll never happen. Um, it'll never happen, but... It would just be nice that, you know, Cloak and Dagger have been around since the early 80s, and maybe they are in their 30s now, or their 40s, you know? It's it's a retarded aging, I mean... Yeah, I know. And you mean retarded, literally meaning slowed down, rather than it's retarded that they don't age. Wouldn't like, it be nice? Like, it would be nice because they. I've seen comic books do plenty of, like, future storylines where it's like a what-if thing where they jump to the future and people are aged and things have happened, but... But they never that actually can, age. Things and, can happen uh, in the real storyline. It's like, People what year age. did... Yeah, really? What You're, what year did you jump to? Like, 3620 from the, the current rate of aging? Right. You would talk about uh, Spider-Man for a little bit? Yeah, no kidding, right? But, Aunt May is 3,000 years old. Oh, God. <laughs> the beauty of certain characters, like Captain America, you can always have him be like in his 30s because he was trapped in a block of ice and he got taken out a few years back and if they if they rewrite that storyline in you know 50 years from now it's still fine he was still World War 2 and trapped in a block of ice and just happened to get thawed out a few years back anyway we're we're streaming uh, way off topic from Runaways yeah but it's good conversation off topic thing The Last Hero no by Terry Pratchett it's it's a it's a book with illustrations It's it's not a comic um but it's about his... Discworld his, number 27? Discworld number, fuck all, I don't know, a lot. Um, you can read it completely independent of the Discworld series. It has characters that connect, but as a story, it stands on its own. Um, it's about his his like barbarian hordes characters that, you know... It, it's the Cohen the Barbarian, who's at this point very, very, old. very old. And very angry at the gods for making him old. So it's all about, like, you know, grizzled loincloth ointmenty old <laughs> barbarians like going to to give fire back to the gods in the form of like large amounts of explosives because they're pissed off about aging it's it's fantastic well you know you'd think they'd have more aging in comic books because then people like joel could relate but sure you're gonna take that hey no problem so go buy it let's get back to runaways and i'll just uh since we seem to have exhausted our our actual Topics of discussion for Runaways. We'll we'll just go buy, borrow, burn. I'd buy, honestly. I already answered that question. Go buy it. Yeah, me too. Buy it. I'd say buy it and then lend it out to teenagers that hate to read. I would. I would say just to be safe. Buy the first six issues. Buy the no. I was. I was. I was going to say buy. If you're going to buy it in trades, buy the first three. Or the first hardcover, the first eighteen issues. Get worth. the first hardcover if you can, as opposed to the- yeah, absolutely. I kind of wish I'd, you know, I'm going to end up spending thirty bucks on trades when I could have spent thirty bucks on hardcovers. I've that already don't fall spent apart. thirty bucks yeah. on trades. Mine are fifteen. Mine are ten. Yeah, which are little dwarf books. They're little manga sized. So the reason I say that is because one of the major storylines, the, the plot threads that they open up in these first two trades, is that 
one of the kids in the runaways left a note for the parents saying that they would always be loyal and that they were going to, you know, that they weren't going to turn on their parents like all the other kids had. So there's a mole in amongst the runaways, but that issue does not get resolved in the first 12 issues. It gets resolved in the first 18. So the stuff that we're talking about in this show ends with the cloak and dagger arc and it doesn't really come to a, solid resolution as much as it's like you're it's it's the resolution that it does come to is set up for the remainder of the storyline which is the kids are out the parents are pursuing the police are on their ass and now they have to try and deal but i would say by the first 18 issues in whatever format you can find it in personally if you can find the hardcover i got mine off of amazon and i got it for relatively cheap um, so I got this, it might've gone back in print. Like, uh, there have been at least two printings of this hardcover cause I know there's two different covers and they run on Amazon for 26 or 27 bucks, I think is what I paid that for it. That seems so. really worth it. I gotta say, I have the, uh, the normal sized. So out of all the covers that I've seen for this, the cover for volume two Teenage Wasteland in the full size is amazing. I think it's Mark DeJorvac. That's looks, good. It looks like his art. It's just really cool. So I think we're that's a unanimous buy. Even Joel agreed. I'm, I'm talking bullshit here. The next show, I'll talk about this for a minute before I get into the contest. The next show we are going to do, Andy's suggestion of the Umbrella Academy. Apocalypse Suite. Okay, Umbrella Academy, Sweet. Apocalypse Suite. Who's this written and drawn by? This is drawn by um, Gabriel Ba, and it is Yay. written by Gerald Way, the lead singer of My Chemical Romance. Honest to God, I wow. want him to stop making music. <laughs> like I have no qualms saying that at all. None. I'll have to read it. Is, uh, and also start write, writing more books or just generally stop making music? I'll accept either. <laughs> okay. But I, I really <laughs> want him to devote more time to writing comics. That's cool. I mean, it'll also be the first book that we've done that has Gabriel Ba's artwork, and I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, Me too. Great. He writes, writes pretty. The show after that, we're going to do Scarlet, the Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Malieve trade that just came Yay. out first five issues. We are still running the contest because people aren't entering. I know there's people out there listening to the show, but you gotta you gotta send us an email. The contest, get this. Let, let me let me try and break this down for you. The contest is up to five trades for free right now. You're gonna get a trade of Desolation Jones, Echo, the first two trades of Runaways. I'm holding the two trades of Runaways that you're going to get in my hands <laughs> right now. Umbrella Academy Apocalypse Suite and Scarlet. You're going to get the trades of all five of those for free by entering this contest. And all you have to do to enter this contest is email us your name and your address with the book title or contest or something like that in the, in the, uh, in the subject line. Just say, I'm entering the contest. We must, comics. we must get 10 entrants or we won't actually run the contest. We haven't gotten 10 entrants in five episodes, so that's why we're up to so many books. The deadline for entries is Tuesday, August 2nd, which is when we will record the Umbrella Academy episode. If we get 10 entrants, we will draw a name out of a hat, and you have a, at 
you know, at best a one in 10 chance of getting, what is this going to be? It's actually six trades because you're getting two runaways trades. So you're looking at what? Like $115 worth of fucking comic books. And people aren't entering, which doesn't, which baffles me. We're, we're going to, somebody's going to get a fucking cubic fuck ton of comic books once this thing actually happens. That's right, kids. A cubit fucked on. You're right. It's, you know, slightly less than a metric Jesus. Did you guys have anything else you wanted to touch on before we uh, we move along and wrap up the show? That's I no. think the Tangent Express has, has ridden long enough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Joel's just been fucking going on and on. Hey, so uh, I'm actually... So, me? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. On and on and on and on tonight. Rate us on iTunes. Uh, you can review us on Zoom if we're up there. I'm still trying. You can follow us all on Twitter. The main show feed is at Trade Secrets Pod. I am at Geek Elite. Andy is at Mathtastrophe. Joel is at Superfly. Anne is at Anne Bean Tweets. You can like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash trade secrets podcast. Follow us on Tumblr at trade secrets podcast.tumblr.com. Uh, join the forums on the website. And if you want to be a part of the show, uh, we would love to have questions or comments or things to read on the show. Um, hell, we'll read the fucking names that come into the contest if those are the only emails we get. Uh, if you want to be part of the show, we will read questions on the show, and you can email us at tradesecrets at geekerific.com. That is also the address you're going to email us for the contest. Or you can contact us on any one of those other portals, on Twitter, on Facebook, on the forums. Uh, you can comment on the Tumblr posts. You can do whatever you want. I will read the fuck out of your names. Absolutely. We will We will do dramatic, dramatic readings, readings of an email. Yay. Absolutely. Uh, if you absolutely hate the show, you think it's dumb, then tell us so and we'll, we'll make fun of you. Get us some get us some content. It'll help us. Uh, I know that we go off on tangents, but maybe if we actually had emails to read, it wouldn't feel so tangent filled. In the you read comic books. You want to talk about comic books? We are geeks just like you. So talk to us about comics. Uh, this has been episode ten of Trade Secrets. Thank you, Andy. Mm. Thank you, Joel. Podcast cock blocker. Thank you, Ann. Mm. I am Luke, and we're out. Mm.